0: I'm Evelyn, and I'm a geoholic.
1: I've got to turn this up. Actually, I can run Is this there from here. Anybody in Maybe there.
2: it's up
1: my head. Is there anyone at home. home? Is there? No. <laughs> Nobody at home. Lights are on, but nobody's home. Oh man, what a great song. What a great song. I'm so happy our guest this evening is a Pink Floyd fan. Oh, it, you can never go wrong. I, and, and I got to looking at it and I was, uh, you know, I don't ever want to use the same song twice, of course. So I sure. went 180 some episodes, whatever it is. I went and I, you know, did a search for Pink Floyd. We've used Pink Floyd four other times. I four think. other times? This being the fifth, I believe, I believe. So it might be the number one contender. Ah, okay. All right. All right. Might be. Might it be. might be, yeah. So uh welcome back to you episode one seventy five. One seventy five. If my count is correct. It is. Uh we've got a cast of characters with us this evening. We do. Uh producer Sean, how have you been? I feel like I haven't seen you in a while.
0: Uh yeah, there's been, been a lot going on. Yeah. Uh everything you know, good in your world? Everything is great in my world. Awesome. Well that's good to hear. Yes.
1: You have is. a smile on your face tonight, so that's good.
0: You know, it's just there's been a lot going on and when you take a step back, yep. it's all okay does it put things into perspective everything is good it makes you slow makes me slow down a little bit i know i use a quote from kent nobody's gonna die well it's hold gonna on. be okay <laughs> <laughs> there was a death <laughs> yes there was a death the co- actually a couple deaths of the family we won't bring the show uh, down oh but uh, after some some good family time and some retrospective yep. it's uh Life is good. Good. And it glad is glad to hear it. Very good to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Good to see you. And we have
1: Dr. Nick with us this evening. Dr. Nick, how are you, buddy? Hey
3: yo, good to see you guys.
1: And uh you've been on a bit of a whirlwind tour over the last few months.
3: Yeah, I think the time last time I was doing geoholic stuff, I was in a castle and uh you know <laughs> Oh yeah. It's <So laughs> awesome. I got yeah. kind of assaulted by a wizard snuck up on me there. But you know, whatever. A you
1: know, bad know. elf being assaulted by a wizard. In a castle. In a
0: castle. <laughs>
3: You just can't write it. I think you. I think that should. I I think my wife has
0: read seventeen books with that exact (laughs) (laughs) plot.
3: It's in a few different sections in Barnes and Noble for sure. Yes, 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 exactly. exactly. (laughs) It covers a lot of genres.
0: Awesome.
1: Oh my gosh! As for me, thanks for asking. I am doing good, except for the fact that my right ear is freaking plugged.
0: Oh man! It is the
1: weirdest thing. It is the weirdest thing.
0: So it's those ailments that happen.
1: Is I don't know. I mean, I don't know what causes something like that. But well,
0: you've been doing a lot of traveling, so you've been doing a lot of flying. Maybe, maybe, you know, that that has maybe like it's some, with some it. of that inner ear stuff and going allergies.
1: On? Like allergies are so freaking bad right now. And it's been I, I went and got an allergy shot today for the first time in 31 days, and I should be getting them every week. So that probably yeah, has something, something well. to something do with yeah. it.
0: it. But sounds uh, like you're a lot. I'm of on the mend. I'm a
1: little raspy, of course, but then it just happens this time of year. Yeah. For okay. those of you that have been listening to us for four years, you're used to it.
0: Is it really been four years? It's wow. been four years in July. It's amazing! <laughs> Can't believe that. It's that freaking is crazy, amazing.
1: Right? <laughs> All right. Before we move on, uh, we mentioned Pink Floyd. Tell us about Pink Floyd a little bit, there, Sean.
0: Oh, okay. Who doesn't know about Pink Floyd? Um, I don't have my notes in front of me. Would so. you like me to take over from here?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Pink Floyd were an English rock band formed in London in 1960. Did you say were or are? No, they were an English rock band. Okay. Uh, I guess they are, but they were. Formed in London in 1965. That's a long freaking Hmm. time ago. That's even before I was born.
0: Yeah, because they just, uh, it was something about the 30 or the 50 year anniversary of one of their albums, which makes sense because Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah, Dark Side Side of the the Moon, 50 year anniversary. Yeah.
1: Uh, Gaining an early following as one of the first British psychedelic groups, they were distinguished for their extended compositions, sonic experimentation, philosophical lyrics, and elaborative live shows and became a leading band of the progressive rock genre pink floyd has sold more than 250 million records worldwide that's a big number making them one of the best-selling music artists of all time they were inducted in the u.s rock and roll hall of fame in 1996 and the uk music hall of fame in 2005 okay all that sounds about right i'm a big fan i have never seen them i gotta be honest with you have you seen them
0: or any form of them? Oh, outside of some of those wall laser show things yeah, that they used I've been to one have. Of those. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think I've seen them live. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Nick? Uh, I
3: gotta ask nope i haven't i've, I've had opportunities to see roger waters and, and yeah, yeah all the different guys yep. to, but no i never did yep. i did do a couple uh laser rock shows at the uh the mm-hmm. space auditorium in college but that you know that was pretty fun but i have to ask did, did any of all y'all ever do the pink floyd dark side backwards to wizard of oz oh wizard of oz thing. Uh, uh no it's,
0: it wasn't backwards it's is, i have done this is it uh, real
3: i i will say it's not this not backwards you just you sync it, or you it. You start. You, you, yeah. start,
0: you actually. You, this is back when you had to start the DVD and the CD. You know, you couldn't play it on your phone, but the Blu-ray. You start the. It's the it's it's the the lion roars because it's an MGM movie. The lion roars three times. Oh, you start the the CD on the second lion roar. Really, and it is very oddly linked up in some spots.
1: Do you have to be under the influence of shrooms?
0: I'm a real
2: fan, man. To, I, know,
0: to, I, I know, can, to know that synchronization, you're, I can you're... I can neither confirm nor deny
3: that it takes the, shrooms the, to
0: appreciate yeah, it. I, Me but,
3: and Shug, we plead the fifth. Let's
0: yeah, go. I, I'm I, I'm not going to to go into detail. Other than I'm not yeah. going to sell But there are times <laughs> where one thing to note is the time signature. I think is is 120 beats a minute. So it. The, the, like it, it matches up with time, yep. and then there are certain transitions to songs that match transitions in the movie.
1: I've heard. I've only heard about it, so that's super I, interesting to me. It, there,
0: I can tell you. I don't want to do too many spoilers, but yeah. when it transitions from the black and white to the color in the movie, yep. that is a specific spot in the album that it crescendos into a like it. It's a thing, and it gets really you. yeah.
1: So guess what? Since you've taken the time to share all that, mm-hmm. that is going to be your Airworks somewhat random trivia for this week. Because uh, we, no. don't, we don't have time. Oh, we don't have time? No. Okay. No, that's fine. You good with that? Yeah, yeah I'm good that with that. That was your random trivia. That was our, that, it that was, was good. Trivia. Yeah. 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 Awesome.
0: Second lion roar is when you start it.
1: Boom. Alright, we are of course in the Mentoring Mondays studio this evening. Um, if you have not checked out Mentoring Mondays, you absolutely need to go to mentoringmondays.xyz. It is a Trent Keenan effort or backed effort, let's say. And uh, of course, anything Trent Keenan touches turns to gold. And if you have not checked out Mentoring Mondays, You are missing out. Please do. Mentoring Mondays at XYZ. Um, Gosh, I'm doing double duty here. We have the Advanced Geodetic Survey's weekly words of wisdom now. Um, I thought this was fitting for this evening. Here we go. Creating a better world requires teamwork, partnerships, and collaboration, as we need an entire army of companies to work together to build a better world within the next few decades. This means corporations must embrace the benefits of cooperating together. Simon main worrying founder of, and CEO of we first we first was that it's a company that um, does like a lot of promotional stuff for
0: companies <laughs> <laughs> and is a big proponent of co- corporations working together
2: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely
1: before we get to our guests this evening here is this week's bad elf minute
3: Hello Geoholics, and welcome to Bad Elf's Point of Beginning, a segment specially crafted for the consumption of geospatial news, history, and technology. We hope you enjoy the content and perhaps even learn something. My name is Dr. Nick Smolovski, I'm a Geoholic, and I'm here to be your geospatial guide. Artificial intelligence, or AI, is rapidly developing and has the potential to revolutionize many aspects of our lives. However, there are also concerns about the potential negative impacts of AI, such as job displacement, bias, and privacy violations. In response to these concerns, there is a growing discussion in Congress about the needs to regulate artificial intelligence. There are a few different proposals for AI regulation currently being discussed in Congress. Some proposals focus on specific applications of AI such as self-driving cars or facial recognition software. Other proposals focus on broader issues. The most recent news about Sam Altman is that he testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee on May 16th, 2023, about the need for artificial intelligence regulation. If you're unfamiliar, Sam Altman is the CEO of OpenAI, a nonprofit research company that is dedicated to developing of Safe and Beneficial Artificial General Intelligence, or AGI, You may be familiar with their program called ChatGPT. In his testimony, Altman argued that AI is a powerful technology that has the potential to do great good, but could also do great harm. He said that AI regulation is necessary to ensure that AI is developed and used in an ethical and responsible manner. Altman also proposed several specific recommendations for regulation, including the creation of an independent agency to oversee AI development and use, the establishment of safety standards for AI systems, and the requirement that AI systems be transparent and accountable. Altman's testimony was well received by members of the Senate Judiciary Committee, who expressed concern about the potential risks of AI and the need for this discussion. It is likely that Altman's testimony will help spur further discussion and debate on AI regulation in the coming months and years. Geospatial friends, geoholics, hear me now. Please proceed on the artificial intelligence path cautiously and intentionally. While extremely powerful and exciting, this technology has the ability to be recklessly dangerous. If you have any questions or comments about today's POB segment, please reach out to me via LinkedIn or through the Geoholics channels. And that does it for us at B2 Studios in sunny Texas. Live long and prosper, my friends. (laughs)
1: <laughs> All right. Before we embarrass ourselves anymore, let's get our guest in here. We have Mark Goldman with us this evening. Mark is born in the suburbs of St. Louis. Mark, where exactly is that? Because I know St. Louis fairly well. Where were you born? Do
2: you? Okay. okay. Um, I grew up right where Chesterfield and Creve Corps come together, West huh? County.
1: Yeah, big, big, um, big mall out there. Typical if
2: you're from St. Louis, the first thing you have to ask is where do you go to high school? Um, so I went to Parkway Central and. Uh, Moved out to New Orleans as soon as I graduated high school, went to Tulane University for a few years, studied architecture and engineering, but technology was my thing more so than trying to become the next great Star And <laughs> uh, I'll leave I'll, I'll, I'll it there. I'm sure we'll, we'll peel back the layers. We more. will,
1: absolutely. And some of your hobbies include the fact that you're working on your private pilot license, uh, you like to ski in the winter, and you are an avid road biker. And your current job is you lead the AEC industry solutions team at Esri, where you define and lead the execution of marketing strategy for GIS and AEC. And we are going to dig Woo. much deeper into that. Mm. But bottom line is your passion is flying. So Mark, yeah, yeah. Real quick, welcome to the Geoholics. Uh, we appreciate you being here. You've actually been on before. For those of you that may not know that, yeah, what I think it was Trimble Dimensions. I day day believe day two
2: Trimble nope, Dimensions. Nope. 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 No, no, no. Nope. Geo Week Geo in week. Denver. Geo
0: Week that's in right. Denver. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Wow. Geo Week.
2: Snow's February.
1: That's
0: right. That's right. It was uh, yep.
1: like it was right after the Super Bowl. Remember.
0: Yes, it was right after Super Bowl, and it snowed we, like crazy. Everyone you know, got delayed. Your flight got out. Mine didn't. Yeah, that's
1: right. Yeah, but either way, we're so, gonna we're already been invited back this year. So yeah, the better question. Sure, so. I'm sorry.
3: So sorry. Yeah, yes. the better question it. is, Kent, yeah. do you remember Goe? Mm.
0: <laughs> Apparently not.
3: Apparently not that Um, was
0: one of our better weeks we had a
3: lot of so much fun great
1: great uh conference one of my favorites for sure um but before we get into this we have to do the trimble pro point icebreaker so mark here's a question if you could fly any aircraft past or present
2: which one would you choose and why wow um boy that's a big question you know i i way 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 beyond my capabilities um Probably like an SR-71, you know, 3,000 miles per hour, whatever that is, six or seven. Oh, wow. Um, amazing, amazing piece of machinery way ahead of its time. Um, yeah. Yeah. I thought that'd be a good
1: question for a flying enthusiast. Absolutely.
3: Yeah, How really about yeah, you,
1: absolutely. Nick? Nick, do you have an aircraft that if you could fly, you'd love to fly it? What would that be? Oh,
3: well, my so, not the steel marks thunder but i made a sr-71 blackbird <laughs> model with my dad as a kid yeah. and uh my boy scout troop we went and actually toured up in um uh, eglin air force base up in the panhandle of uh florida they have one parked out there So, that plane is amazing it actually grows and shrinks it gets so hot and so cold when it takes off and stuff through expansion of heat like it literally contracts and it changes size it's an absolutely pretty, pretty stellar thing. Uh,
2: my know, my son and I we built we built a, a model rocket that was the SR seventy one. You know, attached to the end, those ridiculously dangerous uh,
3: the drone uh, thing that would like fly around and run into it. No, no,
2: this was a rocket. This was not oh, like the rocket had a pencil. Yeah, so this was shaped like an SR seventy one, but it went straight up. That's yeah. awesome. The
1: the uh, model rocketry thing was a big thing when I was a kid. I don't know if they still do that anymore.
0: I I'm I'm assuming so it wasn't as big when I was a kid yeah I don't know why Mm. what about you
1: what would would I fly yeah what would you fly um what was the Wright brothers plane called the (sighs) Wright, the Wright aircraft I don't think that's before they had names yeah I would fly that
0: thing for sure why not be the first it didn't look very fun
1: oh that's 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 the
0: thrill of it Oh, I'm sure it was thrilling. When he, <laughs> <laughs> when he was going in a freaking matchbook. What would you flash on? Uh I am going to go a little little out there cuz you you did you said past or present, but you didn't say future and I was going to go with the uh, the Enterprise.
1: Oh, like oh, a lindo. like a Star starship. Trek? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Starship Enterprise. Yeah, the Starship Enterprise. What version?
1: There's mm. Oh, there's version multiple here. versions. I don't want to
0: offend anybody <laughs> out there who 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 may be tied mm. to one version or the other, but mm. that's good. That's That is pretty creative. Good stuff.
1: All right. Let's get to know Mark here a little bit better. Um, So, Mark, you mentioned you studied architecture and civil engineering at Tulane for about three years. You didn't quite finish. Something drew you away. What's that all about?
2: Yeah, that's actually an interesting, fairly long story. I started out in engineering school and found it just a little too dry, switched over to architecture but realized I like the math of engineering more so than you get from architecture. So I crafted a dual program that would have been a Bachelor of Architecture, Master of Engineering in seven years. But I was also working in the CAD labs at both the architecture and the engineering schools, kind of running them as a student. And uh, a buddy who had left school already, graduated with a construction management degree, came up to me and said, Mark, you know this CAD stuff really well. And threw an idea my way, which was to put all the building product information on CD-ROMs at the time, which was... (laughs) Ahead of of time. Yes. Um, so I, I dropped out of school. I formed my first business at 21 years old um, and started putting together a prototype, did, you know, some, some software development and went around to some building product manufacturers, tried to get them on board, shopped okay. it around to, to McGraw Hill, who was sort of the mm. content provider of the day, shopped it to Autodesk, became a Autodesk reseller for oh, 3D wow. Studio. And, you know, I, I, I just, went feet first into into business and CAD and tech and I can say I, I pretty much never looked back a couple of times thought about you know what should I go back should I get the degree but uh you know ironically I left school and the instructor of 3D tech at the time took ill the school reached out to me and said Mark would you like to be an adjunct professor as a college dropout so uh <laughs>
0: You got to do I that, right? right Are
2: you sure you didn't go to Southern Illinois
1: University? That's kind of what we did there. <laughs> <laughs> all the, rep- the all University professors were dropping. Oh gosh, wow. that's so
3: funny! Did and another that make you a Saints fan then? Oh,
1: good question.
2: I was I was in New Orleans when uh, Saints fans would go to games with bags oh, over with their bags head. Oh, with the bags over their head. The um, Aints. The Aints. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Exactly. Exactly, yeah. Yep, that's awesome. One of the other things you mentioned in your bio was that, uh, you know, as it pertains to road biking, you're training for a big ride this summer. What's that all
2: about? Yeah, there's a ride called the Triple Bypass, which goes over three mountain passes and climbs about 11,000 <laughs> awesome. feet over 120 miles. I'm doing the shorter version of that, the Double Bypass, which is only about 80 miles and about 8,000 feet of climb. So uh, wow, that, that, that's filling my my spare time right now instead of flying or skiing.
1: Yeah. So how do you train for something
2: like that? Um, a lot of hill climbing, mm. a lot of uh, uh, joining a, a bike club and riding with them 50 miles and all of it, half of it being uphill and the other half being downhill. Yep. So 25 miles of climbing on a on a weekend wow. and Coming back exhausted and yep. drinking a protein shake and trying to <laughs> Re- recover, my, uh, right? My, my, my Reset. As I yeah. yeah,
1: exactly. Well, this would be a good time for me to shout out to my good friend, Don Stevens, who just had a triple bypass, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Last week, <laughs> really? he had a triple bypass and like within 48 hours, he's at home.
0: Wow. Is that crazy? I mean, it's amazing what they can do. It is amazing what they can do. And, no and question. what used to be any bypass was a, was a gamble, and now it's just a, an outpatient <laughs> procedure. You exactly. just go in, they crack <laughs> you, you open, you right. know, re- reroute some pipes and kick you out, and on you go. <laughs> yes, pretty much. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> All right, so let's not forget to talk about Esri. What is it like to work for Esri? What is a typical day like for you? And uh, what, just what do you love about working for, the, for that company?
2: Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, my whole whole career was immersed in in the tech side of things, of construction, architecture, and engineering. And GIS was not front and center. Um, it was you know at best on the sidelines and a couple of projects over my my years involved developing a map or trying to get CAD data into a map or map data underneath a a CAD file. So I really didn't know a lot about Esri other than, Hmm. you know, they kind of dominated the space the way Autodesk dominates the space or Microsoft dominates the market. Um, Joined about three and a half, almost four years ago now, when the company realized that dealing with the state and local governments and the utility companies and all the other industries that use GIS, there wasn't an AEC group. There was not a focus on the firms mm. who often were doing the work on behalf of all those other owners owner operators so i joined when there was just a couple of us now we're up to maybe 30 folks or so all wow. across business development solution engineering professional services we got products that are specifically focused on aec workflows so it's been really cool to to start out with you know a small group see it grow see the the customers be some of the biggest and most respected firms around the globe mm really embracing GIS as I've come to understand all its capabilities it, with CAD and BIM, which is, you know, BIM has been, you know, all the all the rage for many mm-hmm. years. Um, typical day, I, I've worked at home in a home office for almost 20 years now. Wow. Uh, you know, worked, worked remotely, so awesome. typical day is... is you know, crawling out of bed and maybe sticking my head under the sink because who <laughs> needs to take a shower and get dressed other than, you know, to make your head look good. Yeah. Um, and uh, I work on the, the the programs and the projects and the efforts to get the word out about GIS and AEC, which is, you know, pretty
1: fun to do. Well, mm-hmm. this is the perfect time to loop in my good friend, Nick, because he understands GIS as well as anybody. So between the two of you, I mean, explain to me how, GIS and AEC are, are related. Like what, what does this partnership or hand in glove, you know, relationship look like, how is that
2: coming together? I'll let you go, Nick. Cause I could go on for a long time.
3: <laughs> well, quite frankly, I was going to ask you a question, on the same, same topic, right? Thematic, uh, you know, conjecture. So for the last 20 years that I've been in the geospatial space, um, had and gis have honestly not really been the best of friends uh autodesk (laughs) and esri if i remember correctly had a point where they actually didn't even like talk to each other in terms of their conferences and there was quite a big battle on like Mm. would the world go towards gis or would it go towards cad and you had a big dichotomy and i remember it was like even land surveyors, you know, get it surveyed was what GIS meant. You know, we just need to put in a CSV file and we're going to plot it in AutoCAD, run a list routine. We're going to, we're going to pump out a topo and uh, we're going to apply a scale factor and we're done. Right. And, and then what I saw a number of years ago, maybe five, six years ago, yeah. maybe right about the time you came into uh, Esri, maybe you had a big push on this. Uh, I remember being at an Esri users conference and Autodesk had a large, booth in the middle of Esri's huge expo of 20,000 people and uh, there was a a blackboard and it was like CAD and GIS. It was Autodesk and Esri and people were actually writing notes on there about like that you know, uh, relationship and I say all of this because for a long time, if you did CAD, you draft, you you do that space, computer aid designing and drafting, you often didn't talk to GIS people. And in the flip side (coughs) one of the biggest conundrums GIS people have are getting CAD data to get lined up correctly in our world. I would love to hear what your, you came from in my opinion, the dark side, you came from, you know, you know, the CAD side, I'm just kidding. I, I know both. Um, and and I think that's what helped me in the career. And I would tell that to everybody, by the way, if you can understand CAD and GIS, you are in a great spot, but I would love to hear from your perspective, Mark, how maybe at once they didn't see eye to eye, but all of a sudden you talk about BIM and you talk about the digital twin and we're in this new world where we're all talking and working together. And maybe you can walk us through that a little bit.
2: Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're spot on. I mean, I joined Esri after the Alliance partnership was already formed between Esri and Autodesk. That was 2017 now going on six years. Um, Jack Dangerman, the longtime CEO founder of Esri, who still is probably the hardest working person at the company, wow. showed up at Autodesk University on stage with M. Am- not long after he had come on as the CEO, surprising the 10 to 15,000 people who go to Autodesk University every year with, like you said, you know, a, a dramatic change from from maybe not arch rivals and enemies, but certainly not partners or companies whose technology worked together well and you know in a world where your engineers worked on CAD and drafting and 3D modeling programs and you had a whole different department of GIS folks who were developing essentially 2D maps you know five five six years ago you weren't doing a whole lot of 3D with GIS and uh, since that partnership formed it's just been significant changes. The, um, The Autodesk Hero products, Civil 3D, uh, Revit, the whole Autodesk Construction Cloud and BIM 360 platform which is, you know, like like, you know, bread and butter to to the AEC folks, um, now include connectors so that you can directly bring in the maps that you've created in the ArcGIS platform. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not just like a file import, it's direct reading off of the ArcGIS online environment. So as those maps are updated, as people might be out in the field, improving those maps and enriching them, they directly are being viewed and understood for context, which if you have ever done any kind of design work, engineering work, architectural work, you start out with a blank screen almost always, which is really kind of a scary thought that you've got to design a road or you've got to design a building and orient it correctly without any context um, if, you, if you had a map, if you had information that told you where your traffic centers were, where your population density was, where your competition was, which way the prevailing winds flowed, you know, that is just huge information to those architects, engineers, and, and construction professionals. And then on the GIS side, we've, um, through the partnership, we're reading directly Revit files into ArcGIS Pro. We're reading Civil 3D, DWGs, as well as just kind of the, the base drawing files out of AutoCAD into maps, placing them as easy as placing, you know, any other feature layer. And I I remember one project that I did many years ago, trying to bring CAD and GIS together for a development project in New Orleans, trying to show where dilapidated properties were and actually showing floor plans that could could be leveraged for, for civic purposes. It took weeks just to bring a file in and orient it and stretch it and rubber band it and DXF it and all these things. Now, the demos that I show, um, you know, I'm like a kid in a candy store showing 3D bridges that were built in maybe Bentley and Autodesk and mm. IFC files placed in context over a river with IoT sensors being represented and you know, real-time dashboards of, of seismic activity of whether or not you should be doing construction next to a, an old bridge. Um, that's just one example that comes to mind. And it really is I mean, a good, good term you use there, uh, hand in glove. They really are working together. I, I tell just about every time I can that if you're someone who's got a copy of a CAD product, AutoCAD or Civil 3D or another, if you've got a BIM software, Revit or others, um, you probably should have a copy of ArcGIS Pro or a license to ArcGIS Online mm-hmm. to put that information in context or to create some maps to underlay those design files. Because if not, you're probably not doing as good a job as you can. So it's been, um, it's been really a, a significant shift in, in culture. The firms that a few years ago might've had completely separated GIS and, and CAD and BIM departments or engineers on one side of the fence and GIS mapping folks on the other, they're breaking down those barriers and you've got people who are GIS and BIM department leads. Now that is their title, both mm. those terms in one person or a head of BIM and a head of GIS working together hand in hand, hand in glove, at some of the biggest firms around the globe, working on some of the biggest infrastructure projects that that you've probably heard of. Well,
1: Mark just took care of one through nine of my talking points (laughs) in a matter of five minutes. So we're in trouble.
3: (laughs) So obviously he's good at what he does. I I can come up with random stuff. I I got this.
1: (laughs) So who is this benefiting, Mark?
2: Who's it benefiting, Okay. so it's everyone from, let's say you've got, you know, environmental managers who are trying to figure out whether or not a project should go in a certain location and, you know, doing some kind of cleanup. They've been using GIS for many years, and GIS is definitely more than just maps. It's, it's field tools for collecting information, whether that's the conditions of a pond or that's, you know, the number of cars that are driving down a road or air quality, that type of data being collected and put into a, a format that others can use downstream perhaps your planners and urban designers and campus planners who are looking at that kind of Mm. macro meta level of a job site, taking layers of information that might often just show up in a spreadsheet, but putting it into a location-based environment. So you know where, you know, your census data, if you could view that on a map and know where your population density is and where your your rail lines are and where your, you know, your, your highways are are going through an area that should not be expanded, but maybe should be rerouted. Um, You know, planners and urban designers, then you get into the architects and engineers who are typically kind of hands down, heads down, fingers on keyboards, drafting and modeling. They're bringing in maps, like I said, as underlays to help with those design and engineering decisions. Architects using the tools to better understand lines of sight and perhaps weather patterns and mm-hmm. shading and shadowing conditions that might uh, be required setbacks and permit type of information in the context of a of a city grid, and then onto construction. Something you know when we when I joined Esri and when as we were bringing you know to market these products to AEC, we thought that the C side of things, construction, was going to be the, the slowest and the hardest adopters of this tech. But if you think about it, construction happens on site. It happens at a location, and everything happens at location. But the idea of, of coordinating the people and the materials and the designs in context to a job site, making sure that the roads are being opened and closed properly, and you've got material laydown areas that are, you know, coordinated with your cranes and people who are coming in and doing drone flights and capturing reports instead of on yellow pads that you then enter into a a spreadsheet, but doing that with field-based tools in a map, construction management is really taking off and adopting GIS, and then at the end of the day, all this data being collected and massaged and perhaps cherry-picked through the owner who then has these assets they need to manage for decades longer than it took to construct the project. Those folks have been using GIS for many years, utility companies, rail yards, you know, building owners, the, the US government is a, a big user of, of GIS in a lot of ways. So it's really that entire supply chain of the architecture, engineering, construction, asset management lifecycle benefit from bringing their CAD and BIM workflows into GIS and, uh, and you know, essentially delivering digital as well as physical yeah. projects.
1: So it's, it almost sounds like you're working in a geo
2: 3D environment. Yes, Very much so. Good way of describing it. Yeah. Whereas typically you open up a CAD program and you place your first line at zero, 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 some imaginary point, which might be the fire hydrant that's, you know, across the street or, you know, some, some survey marker that someone created some years ago, typically in CAD products, you're not using those survey coordinates. You're using zero, zero, zero. And, and a lot of work does happen still in, in 2D, but GIS is 3D these days and bringing in the, the drawings and the models and the roadways and the, you know, the, the infrastructure in 3D, geo-referenced, yep. just opens the door to all kinds of, of new analysis.
1: 100%, all right, Nick, go ahead and nerd out.
3: Yeah, I'm about to nerd here, I, I get ready. Deep breath and go. So uh, we're going to incorporate a bunch of different things here. Kind of what I want to get towards is I wonder what the change was back five, six years ago, where we started to just decide we've got to work together, right? And I think to myself in a land surveyor's term. And so if you're going to go collect land survey data in a land surveyor's term, they're going to call it maybe, you know, ground data. So they're going to go collect some type of... I'm sorry ground shots ground shots right they're gonna uh, collect ground shots but then that surveyor is gonna go oh man you know i gotta put it into grid right and so grid is in my w- world that's actually like a state plane system right like a projected coordinate system in a gis and so we've always had that interaction um but f- before before this kind of juncture point it was like you all you requested the data and they and the GIS person converted their GIS data to CAD data you know and it went over there and there was this conversion process that was super convoluted but in the world of civil 3D you you mentioned it right like if you're in Revit and Civil 3D you can bring in web mapping service layers literally from ArcGIS online so you can pump in georectified maps you know things parcel data whatever that case may be that demographic data right into the base map of TAD, right? So in a way, TAD has gotten smart enough that it's almost a GIS in some aspects on itself. So I digress and I'm kind of all over the place, but what do you think was the impetus to kind of actually bring these two together, right? Like why Why all yeah. of a sudden did it happen? And was it five years ago? He said well, 2017, I'm... right? Like so five, six years ago? <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. I mean, so that was when Autodesk and Esri kind of put down the guard and decided that a partnership made more sense than, than, Fighting for, you know, the same users with you know different functionality, but instead they, they should both be used. They should be using both sets of software. So, why did that happen then? Um, yeah, I remember a few years before that being at an Autodesk developer conference, and uh, Jim Quancy, call it to Jim, who leads the developer program at Autodesk, telling the thousands of attendees who were you know all developers on top of Auto AutoCAD and a little bit of Revit at the time. The cloud is coming. Get ready to put your applications in the cloud, infinite computing, scalable, unlimited data, desktops aren't dead, but eventually they're going to be at least as, you know, know, redundant, but less important than the cloud. And that has proven to be true. How long In ago was that? How long ago was use... that, Mark?
0: Yeah, we said that seven was, years. I
2: think just thinking about where I was working at the time, probably 2015, 2016. Wow, that's yeah. crazy. Um, and here we are. A year or two before are. that, yeah. thinking about where I was at the time. But yeah, yeah, you know, less than ten years ago, telling a bunch of you know AEC and and you know technology developers you got to get off of just desktop development, but the cloud is going to change the way we, we do our, our our work. So that 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 has proven to be true. so that no longer are you just emailing someone a file, which is really the cloud or much less you know delivering it physically to somebody to you know do a file import. the ability to just put data unlimited amounts of data, originally files somewhere that someone else can consume um, is a real significant change in workflows. And I also think there's been an ongoing desire to get away from file-based engineering and architecture to database. And that's what mm-hmm. GIS is, yep. much more right. so. There's some recognition at you know some pretty high pay grades that the world of files and DWGs and RVTs and inventor files is only going to last so long. As soon as the cloud is able to truly be data-based and you pick yeah. the features and functions and regions that you want, it's just gonna, you know, change the way that uh, that these workflows happen, well, and that's happening right now. Oh, I I can tell
3: you from the university perspective, I have students that come in at 18 years old, and they've they've never used Windows or iOS. They've used like a Chromebook. They don't even really understand what files are on a local hard drive. Crazy. Right, everything is in the cloud to them. It's it's a Google Drive, it's a Dropbox, it's a whatever, right? And and, and it's already happened. I mean, I have to teach, you know. A, a, 10 years ago, if I said what a zip file was, everybody would know what it was, you know, but they have no idea what a zip file was because they don't know that a zip file compresses files that goes on a local drive because they learned everything through a tablet and it's a totally different landscape. So why do
2: you need to compress files? Isn't there unlimited data capabilities? What what do you mean bandwidth is an issue? Yeah. Yeah. No, So yeah, those kinds of things. um, You know, I know that for the last 10 years, I've been talking about the, the eventual and now the current, Demographic shift, like you said, it's not just 18 year olds, I think you probably want to my my son's about 25 now, Mm. and maybe even a couple years older than him, his generation is replacing my parents generation in the workforce. So there's demographic shift of digital natives Mm. coming in and having expectations. You know, the, the fact that you can make a car reservation, a hotel reservation, a restaurant reservation, without ever picking up a phone or talking to a person completely digital, without worrying about files or any anything not working. Things just work together is the way our personal life goes. Mm-hmm. You're not going to want to show up at work and be, you know, stepping back 20 years in capability. So you're either going to um, gravitate towards a, a work environment that is easier and has less barriers, you're probably gonna influence that work environment. And certainly in the world of AEC, it's a lot of family run multi-generational businesses. So grandpa retired and dad took over 20 years ago and now the son or daughter is taking over and, and she's a digital native and, and she's insisting that everything happens on the cloud and that everything is happening through automation. Um, so that certainly amplified and, and, and accelerated this shift towards things just working together. Um, I also think that COVID, you know, the silver lining of COVID Mm. was we can't show up in person and we're not going to be producing paper drawings that we're all going to gather around and figure things out. We're going to have to use some software and we're going to get together virtually like this. And, uh, you know, that wasn't five years ago. That was now three years ago, I guess, Um, you know, a little more than three years ago. So that accelerated the, Mm. the need to work in a digital environment and an expectation, again, that things are just going to have to work more easily than they did with, with paper and, and importing and exporting and scanning things, but instead true digital workflows. So there's been a lot of things that, uh, that have led to this and I don't see it slowing down. I don't see us going back certainly to, to the the old ways.
1: Sean, I'm really excited about this one. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yep. Dimensional geomatics is the latest Friend of the program, Russell White and his team, with decades of experience in dimensional control, metrology, laser scanning, and drone operations, Dimensional Geomatics brings together a history of exceptional project execution.
0: Uh, they really do. From a single technician to multiple crews in different locations, they field highly trained, quality, and safety-focused personnel for their projects. Keyword there is safety. Absolutely,
1: and qualified personnel whether it's laser scanning onshore or offshore refinery or forensics dimensional geomatics has the equipment people knowledge and context to fully tailor a solution to meet your needs
0: yeah with over 20 years experience and 24 7 global support they are just a phone call away in addition
1: with accurate and up-to-date lidar from one square acre to a thousand square miles
0: they can provide you with the deliverables you need no job is too big or too small to find out more go to dimensional-geomatics.com
1: Yeah for sure let me ask you this so i, I would have to think one of the one of the biggest challenges might be that there the generation we talk i'm, I'm glad you brought up the different generations and how you know people are, are visioning these things the 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 people that are in like the decision making positions probably listen to what you're saying or like what the hell is this guy talking about whereas the other the younger generation doesn't know anything different so there's this there's this you know like you said there's this multi-generational challenge here i mean how and and, and i don't know i don't know how old you are mark but you're you're of an age where you've kind of outkicked your coverage as it comes, as it pertains to technology, I think, you know, like you've embraced this, whereas a lot of people your age maybe haven't. And there's, there's a challenge there, correct?
2: Yeah, I think there is. Um, There's a a design engineering firm here in the U S also does work globally. And their VP of innovation, who's a little bit younger than me, we had a conversation at Esri's partner conference around digital twins And um, she said, you know, I'm having a hard time convincing my managers who are probably 10 years, 20 years, maybe older than her. Hang
3: up real quick, Mark. Just for our listeners, can you give a 30 second? What is a digital twin?
2: Yeah, 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 sure. Um, So a digital twin has been around for a long time. The concept is this idea that you have a virtual representation of a physical product or project, but it's more than just a 3D model. It actually is synchronizing what's happening in that physical environment with the virtual environment so whether it's the ability to control the building or sensing what's going on through automation and sensors and iot devices or maybe it's people collecting data out in the field on a regular basis being fed back into that virtual environment so that you can see the conditions and make better decisions by this dashboard like view of your physical environment And uh, it's been around since, you know, back to our our talking about like the SR-71 and such, it's been around since NASA. Um, A lot of folks say that Apollo mission was the first use of digital twins Mm. where the computers of the day were simulating what was going on, you know, hundreds of thousands of miles away Mm. and able to track and control that physical module flying around the moon. Um, Those concepts, imagine that now working on the, the hospital down the street or the the tollway being monitored or the bridge that has sensors to make sure that you know seismic activity like i talked about earlier so this uh this woman at this firm head of innovation said that she's having a hard time convincing management that this concept of digital twin which is all the rage and all the craze and all the buzz that we're already doing that we're already doing 3d models we've been doing 3d models for 20 years why do i need to invest in this new thing called digital twin so there's there's this breakdown between those who just have you know a thin grasp of the power of technology and how technology has changed things over the last you know number of decades and what is right in front of us all this automation and iot sensors and artificial intelligence and graph databases and all these these things that are really fundamental potential changes how does someone who just barely understands all that their firm already is using you know, how do you convince that person to allocate more money for this next generation that is right in front of us? And it, it's a challenge. And I think it's, um, you know, there, there's a, a burden on folks mm. like us to to get the word out and to explain things in layman terms and to not be all buzzword bingo-y and, uh, and to not to accelerate the hype, but to bring it down to earth. Good points right there.
0: Yeah. Um... Yeah, I'm just curious because you mentioned that. Like, and what one thing that jumped out when you said a couple minutes ago that some of these you know people don't want to come and work for a company that's using 20 year old technology, mm-hmm. and there are still a lot of companies out there using 20 year old technology. And based on what you see, do you see this as as much of a a talent act a talent you know? Uh, I guess carrot versus a way to deliver a better product to your client. I mean, I I, there's gotta be some allure to attract the smarter people by having the, the best toys to play with. But But
1: there's also gotta be return on investment. Oh, sure. And that's the, that's the owners that are hesitant.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a holistic kind of view. You're not going to invest in tech just to attract new talents and you're not going to invest in tech just to, um, you know, have, prettier marketing materials. Um, it's got to be for productivity. It's got to be a competitive edge or, you know, keeping up with the competition. And that's where we're at today. I mean firms that just a few years ago might have been thought of as the 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 old school and they are successful because they're old school and they're doing everything on paper still. And you know that that gives them a unique advantage over those who are all techie with all their hardline CAD drawings. Those big old firms are embracing technology as fast as or maybe even faster than some who adopted it years ago because, you know, like we talked about earlier, there's a lot lot of changes in the industry
1: driving driving change. But the only way for those firms, like you're mentioning, to be successful is their clients have to buy into it as well. Like just because these firms can provide, you know, this deliverable that, that we're describing, if their clients can't use it, what good is it
2: exactly no that's this, that's that, that's 100 and i think that another dynamic is owners are demanding this um mm. certainly the big owners the the folks who have a campus of buildings that they recognize is you know uh, an investment in in capital that their their physical buildings are their assets as much as, as as anything and to keep them maintained and managed over many years is best done with technology airport hospitals yeah. certainly um a lot of government municipalities maybe more so outside of the u.s than the u.s we're a little bit behind compared to a lot of places around mm-hmm. the globe um nick you've seen that in your travels i know you know coming back from from the netherlands last uh, last month before we got together in rotterdam i met with Schiphol airport and they are absolutely bleeding edge with their vision to create a uh a singular data lake and using link to data and all these buzzwords, but for, for a purpose, recognizing that the airport they manage is measured in decades of usage, not just you know the months mm. it might take to do a renovation. Um, you'd have a hard time thinking of an airport here in the U.S. of any size that hasn't really adopted all these digital twin kind of concepts. Um, hospitals who are you know measured in you know their, their profitability if they're pouring hand over fist money to keep their facilities running and can't get the doors opened on time to bring in the patients to do the triple bypasses that are happening on a day to day basis you know they're losing money casinos you know anyone who's who's you know been to a casino knows that every minute that those doors aren't open is just you know a loss of of, of money so Vegas actually was a really early adopter of a lot of tech. Um, in uh, in construction and such. So the owners are demanding it. And that's one of the dynamics that digital project delivery, digital project management. I don't just want to see a schedule and a status of the project based on six weeks ago because it took you six weeks to organize all your information and tell me where we're at. I want to know today where the project is at. And I want to know with you know great amount of certainty that this project is going to be delivered on time and on budget. Um, unlike the, the norm
1: so real quick then, Mark, in your position, and Nick, you can jump in right after this, uh, in your position, are you trying to get in front of the owners or the
2: consultants or both? So, uh, yeah, so in in my role, so like I said, as we had for a long time, been dealing with the state and local governments and the, the utilities and the, the organizations who are the owners of these assets mm-hmm. who might've been using GIS for various purposes, but we weren't calling on the AEC firms directly. So now my role gotcha. is to call on, the HDRs and the HOKs and the Perkins and Wills and the, you know, Stantex and Scants, because all these firms who do the design engineering and construction management work on behalf of the owners, empowering them to deliver what the owners are asking for. There's a whole bunch of other folks like me. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they're like me, but they have similar (laughs) roles to me who are calling on the water districts and calling on the the planning departments and calling on the, the facility owners of, of, you know, big businesses as well. Mm. Uh,
3: Nick, go ahead. Uh, you, you were mentioning Mark, uh, just kind of the project cycles and the things that you need for technology and keeping up to date and things. I have seen multi-billion dollar Gantt charts for major road projects. You, you mentioned some real big names there and I've worked with half of those names that over my career and I've seen these crazy metrics on how you complete a project, it's crazy. You know, and so I think about GIS and I think about CAD. I think about these emerging technologies, Mm. laser scanning and drones and GPR and satellite observations, but really the technology that I found, I find today to be the most impactful for all of this is artificial intelligence. So I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, how do you think AI will impact the AEC industry specifically from your opinion and and maybe bring in some GIS or geospatial into that?
2: Yeah, I think that... We have yet to have any <laughs> deep understanding of what AI is going to do to this industry, to any industry, really. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm using it on a regular basis just to craft sure. you know, correspondences and articles just to inspire me for yep. the you know, rather mundane writings that I have to do. Uh, I actually put together a presentation about two or three months ago. I was asked back in October to do a presentation on AI and AEC, And that was you know, back in October last year, I had heard of chat GPT and I had heard of Dolly and I'd heard of a few things, but in the four months between being asked to do the presentation and have to do it, it was just like a, a, yeah. a, a <laughs> right. opened up. Um, And I was actually emailing myself on a regular basis articles that I'd find on LinkedIn. And I had like 70 articles that yeah. I had to to comb through and, yep. and managed to organize, I think a pretty good presentation. So I, I think that, you know, through the lens of GIS, AI is going to enable massive amounts of data to be consumed and analyzed and insights gleaned from them in ways that we're already doing machine learning and pattern recognition against images, against videos.
3: I mean, that's intelligence, you know, that's intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. -hmm.
2: Yeah. And, and, uh, and it's um, it's, it's AI. I think that it's also going to be an element of not needing to be a Python or Ruby or, you know, some other kind of programmer, to make that data shine but natural language queries against you know look at this data set and find all the building floor plans that have expanded beyond the amount of space they were permitted type that into a query and get a map back that shows you where all of your um, landowners have expanded beyond what they were permitted to do Mm. Um, I've seen some amazing image generation out of bim files and cad data where you know render this model in a forest based on you know the the theme of the hobbit um but made out of concrete i just you know crazy queries and boom the images get generated um so yeah i think that there's a lot that's going to happen i think it's going to be this intersection of massive amounts of data natural language querying And in some cases, answering the questions that are hard to answer, in some cases, simply inspiring work, allowing multiple scenarios to be developed in minutes that might have taken hours or days per scenario. So instead of just going with the, the one design track that you went down because time only allowed you to pursue a couple of options, exploring multiple options that are much more informed by data, by more people than just that you know, the expert GIS analyst who spent years coming to understand, you know, the science of data, the
1: science of data. I like that. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, the digital native, right? Like that, (laughs) you you said that earlier, right, Mark? So do you find that that the most recent generation of these AEC firm, you know, multi-generational companies, are they, how are they approaching artificial intelligence and maybe not forget GIS for a minute, but we got land surveyors, you know, Shug is, a, uh, is, is an engineer by trade, you know, Kent's a land surveyor by trade, you know, um, how how, how, does, how do you see, forget GIS for a minute, what do you, what do you see on yeah. just, yeah.
2: I think that the, the mundane tasks of of producing drawings and making sure that they're annotated correctly and the dimension lines and, and, and hash marks and arrowheads are all, you know, properly located that could take many hours, that's just going to be automated. Um, You know, the the quality of output, I think, is going to be greatly improved without pouring the hours and hours into it. And if historically you build your work by the hour and that's how you made your profit, not necessarily being, you know, gouging anybody, but that's just the way the industry works is on an hourly basis. And if instead your competition can do all of that in a matter of minutes because they've either invested in some off-the-shelf AI or they've hired some folks to develop some AI and combed through the history of projects, that's gonna really change the way projects get executed and delivered. So I think it's gonna free up a lot of people from the mundane tasks and whether they elevate into more higher value work or not is is yet to be seen so i'm i'm a little bit on the fence on you know whether ai is going to destroy the world or not i don't think so but uh, you know i I do think it's going to change the way a lot of people do their work and either you got to uh embrace it or um or maybe maybe just you know be ready to, to to change the way you do your work So here's the thing that drives me insane about
1: this stuff. Every time a new tool comes out that makes us more efficient or better at our jobs, people utilize that tool and then they charge less for their their deliverables because it makes it easier for them. And it's just like, it, it doesn't make sense to me. Shouldn't you get paid more because you've... You've uh, adopted these tools and you've taken on the ownership and the education and the knowledge to be able to use these tools.
0: But how do you pass on the value of the tool you used to the client? Like, why is the client going to get pay more for roughly the same thing that he got maybe quicker? I guess that mean that's about the only thing. Sure. He got it quicker. I, I, yep. So, but I, I agree with you, I, and I think this yeah. this came up recently where it was, how do I de- how do I use all these tools, deliver it faster and charge you less?
1: Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense?
0: No, yeah. it doesn't. But if I was the guy, like Mark was saying, that invested in the tech and got some guys in here and analyzed how I can deliver this faster and ha- wanted to sell it and steal your clients. I would charge them less and I could charge them less and still make the same money that you did because I'm doing it more efficiently.
1: More efficiently with less overhead, less people.
0: It, it, it'd be just less, less time. Less just human yeah, capital. Yeah, just le- less human capital. But it all depends on, and, and right now, is, and maybe Mark can chime in on this, is the cost of the technology yeah. still so high that it outweighs the, yeah. the, the man hours versus, and when is that going to shift where, it's so cheap and readily available, it yeah. just makes no sense to continue to put people on yeah,
1: it. It's the same thing that happens every time a new uh, paradigm shift technology
2: comes so, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah was- I can think of a number of things. When, when building information modeling first came out, the idea that you'd model your building, you'd model your highway, you'd model your dam in 3D, and then you'd essentially say, you know, I, I need a drawing that cuts through horizontally here, and I need a, a section drawing that cuts through here, and the drawings got generated. You had to do a little bit of work to clean them up, but everything was coordinated because in your 3D model, you knew that your windows were all stacked properly and you knew that your ductwork and your pipes weren't, weren't clashing with each other the way they would when you did things in 2D page by page. Um, so yeah, the, 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 the fear was BIM is gonna put all these architects out of business that you know, being automated and delivering projects mm. that don't have issues is going to, you know, destroy the the world of architecture and engineering, and it certainly hasn't. And I think it's the same kind of thing that these tools and techs that, I don't think that they are at a price point that is prohibitive, at least for the value they deliver. Mm. Um, I I did a lot of work in India for a while um, the software company I worked for. had a big office over there and I was doing some BIM modeling services based out of India. And one of the things I noticed there that construction projects took forever, to begin with but technology adoption was not so greatly embraced because you couldn't throw people at the problem at a much lower rate per hour and you know have a room full of drafts people and quality reviewers and document managers to do the work that at that time might have cost tens of thousands of dollars per seat or per team and instead you could really only have to pay a thousand dollars per team for the people to do that, you know, rather grunt work. So there are places and times where the cost of people is less than the cost of tech. But I think there's other places where it just doesn't compare. I mean, how many people would you need to throw at, um, you know, developing a a 700 word article that chat GPT can put out in 30 seconds and every 30 seconds, another one, another 30 seconds, another one. Right. So there's some places that uh, you throw people at the problem and, and you're better off, or at least as equal. But I think right now things like AI is proving that you just couldn't do it with people as fast as as the tech is delivering.
0: And yeah. we talk about that a lot and the the scarcity of the of the the labor force, especially a tech a tech labor force mm-hmm. and and GIS and surveyors and all these people are more scarce here locally. So obviously we're going to gravitate to whatever we can do more efficiently because we are, are, are the volume of what we can do is our limiting factor right now is is human capital. Mm-hmm. And if there is anything that will take one person and turn them into two, <laughs> it makes sense to do it. Yeah. Cuz that second one isn't isn't sitting there waiting waiting to go to mm-hmm. work.
1: I mean I know this is cyclical, but it seems like a, at different points in time the, you know, the hardware side of it is advancing more rapidly than the software side. And sometimes the software side is advancing more rapidly than the hardware side. Where are we at right now?
2: You ask this question yeah. a lot, by the way. Um, software is certainly advancing like crazy. Um, and I kind of took my eyes off the the ball on the hardware for a little while, but lately I've been tuning into the likes of NVIDIA who are, are doing one things. trillion
3: dollars one oh. trillion dollars you saw that mark right this week no, no, and,
0: what, what's that and, oh, no, they're, 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 they're nvidia
3: valued, valued at one trillion dollars there's only five companies in the world that nvidia this week two days ago just valued that way wow and,
2: and they it's were a, a lonely video card manufacturer 10 years ago and not low and they did make great products but they were by no means you know front of mind and and trillion dollar potential companies so yeah so i think hardware um, is you know isn't slowing down moore's law continues to 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 be proven which is every 18 months the the number of transistors you can put onto a a, a, a certain space doubles which means essentially computing power doubles every 18 months that law oh, has wow. held true for 50 something years now um, Drones and reality capture and CCDs, you know, the, the sensors for capturing imagery and the ability to to the new software to take that data and process it and turn it into formats that would have been incomprehensible just a few years ago. I, I think that right now hardware and software are pretty well keeping up with each other. Mm-hmm. I do think that the the need for a really powerful desktop computer is going to continue to diminish as the cloud expands as 5G becomes 6G and the speed of data transmission is going to be beyond what we need as if it isn't already. Um, So yeah, I think hardware and software are going to be in this horse race for for a while. And I've I've almost always been in the software side of things. Until 30 years ago, I worked for a small computer manufacturer. So I definitely did my my fair share of of hardware assembly. so, yeah, uh, yeah I, I mean, so think it it's a fun time. I I, I had a friend yeah. one time many years ago told me, oh, Mark, how can you work in tech? Everything changes like every year. It's like, why would I
3: not work in tech? Yeah, exactly, changes right? every year. It changes every year. Because I'm working a job where nothing changes. Like, <laughs> yeah, Because
1: yeah. I'm and, so and, ADD. I, that's
3: yeah, perfect. Right. Right. A squirrel. I mean, that's, I, I don't know how I can <laughs> co-host anything because I, I'm just like, I, I want to talk about everything. I mean, literally behind me, I've got a cryptocurrency rig with six Nvidia GeForce cards that are—they're now six years old. I've been—I've been mining Ethereum for six years now, and those cards I bought them—they uh, were about five hundred dollars a card. They're still worth five years later, almost three hundred dollars a card, and it's because they can't even manufacture these cards. So mm-hmm. we, talk about, we, we talk about AI, you know, and like massive server farms and GPUs to process this artificial intelligence. But also the cryptocurrency world changed a lot of things with the blockchain. Um, super interesting. And Mark, I, I love everything you just said. I I will say I agree. I think recently um, software has taken off beyond hardware a little bit. And I would just say that because of the large language models, right? You, t- mm-hmm. you said ChatGPT and you talk about BARD and you talk about, you know, these, these, um, these new systems, Dolly, uh, the large language model with neural nets. And as we approach quantum computing, that is some super nerdy stuff. And I can't even uh, propose Noticed. to talk about it at a good level. on <laughs> this really show. Heard, it? <laughs> But it, it, I mean, it's super crazy, right? Like, and, mm-hmm. and, but at this time, I think those have really uh, exploded exponentially. And I would say the reason why is, We've literally come to this conclusion and go look it up on your own, but we actually don't know what large language models do. Like we don't know where it stores the data. We don't know what the neural net is actually doing. And that's what Sam Altman and Elon, just like a day or two ago, they just ped another letter to the government and and they like, we got to slow down AI. There's global catastrophe involved. And one of the steps they said in that was we have to spend a lot more money understanding what we just made, what does it do? And that scares me <laughs> the hardware. Like you come up with a new sensor. We just went from 32 heads to 64 heads. And now I get 2 million points per second. I can now process 2 million points per second at some type of speed. What scares me though. And what I, I would say, again, we've lifted off all of a sudden is that la- large language model where like, we don't even know what it's doing. It's just doing really cool stuff. <laughs> and we're like sort of in awe, and we're like, holy cow. Um. Yeah, but I mean, so I, is it, how how was how was that
0: possible? Where you can create this technology, push for it, like, oh, we got to go into AI, we got to do all these things, and all of a sudden one day be like, oh, hey, by the way, I made this thing, and I have no idea what it does, and it's probably going to be bad. So good luck with that.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea, Mark. Maybe you can explain how that programming works. But like that's what they say, right? Like that you can read the articles, and they say it's become so complex we somehow stumbled upon these uh, generative models and they match the brain and we still don't know how the human brain actually works totally and so we've recreated an artificial intelligence that mimics the human brain and we don't understand the human brain so i i don't know i that's yeah i think it's a really good analogy
2: yeah and what we know about the brain versus what we knew 10 or 20 years ago is just you know whole different worlds that we still have have barely probably scratched the surface and figuring out how the brain works and yet we have have mimicked what we know about the brain and other concepts into into computer systems so it's not a really a really big surprise that we were able to create things that we don't know what they're really doing at, at certain levels um
3: i do wonder yeah, that- is, is it sort of like when we used to paint with asbestos you know, like let's just build yeah. walls and paint asbestos. Asbestos paint is actually
0: very good. It holds up very <laughs> well as long as you don't grind it and snort it. It's relatively yes. safe. It's the potential of, of
2: being You're airborne. talking about AI, You're talking about asbestos. Asbestos, <laughs> right?
3: Let's get some good AI. I'll well, well,
0: when I, when, oh when, when, but but Mark said it. If if the if the hardware automatically doubles in capacity, not automatically, but historically has doubled in capacity every 18 months, then the software is always going to lag behind. And then it's going to be a horse. It's almost like a horse race, but we create, you know, it's a self self-fulfilling horse. Like it it happens because one, one advances, the other has to, and then it just keeps going on in perpetuity, Right. And now is this this what we're seeing is that automatic, you just have to keep going. And then all of a sudden it kind of unraveled a little bit of, oh man, that kind of, we didn't notice it, but that got out of hand.
2: We see these, these, you know, rendering qualities, real time game engine environments that are, you know, you you have a hard time uh, discerning what's real versus what's been computer rendered. That now has become an expectation, which is going to push the hardware requirements to be able to deliver that in every single device. And then right. we're going to go from 4K to 8K video, and we're going to expect physics you know environments to not have a single flaw in them, which is going to push the hardware again. So yeah, it definitely is self-fulfilling to a degree that our, our expectations aren't slowing down. And what we, you know, none of us can imagine five years from now what our tech is going to look like. Because five years ago, who would have thought the kinds of things that we're doing, you know, on our tablets and on our phones and, and with, you know, cellular networks and the speed of data, those, those were almost unimaginable outside of the folks in DARPA. And now
3: they're, what we It's, do. it's interesting. It. Inter, like, I can't make this up. Literally earlier today, I was having a conversation with a coworker and we were talking about marketing, but I think the concept applies. Let's just say you're in a marketing world and uh, you want to spend a dollar on marketing if you spent a dollar on marketing and you got a 1.2% return on investment, so you got a 20% invet- return on investment every time you spent a dollar, you'd make a dollar 20. Would you ever stop? <laughs> no. If you knew every time you'd invest a dollar, you got a dollar 20 back, would you ever stop? No. And and my point here is artificial intelligence, I think I think is that. Like you invest in the tech or you invest in the software, you're going to get an exponential return of some type. And it's like, I think we're going that kind of cascading snowball effect where you put money in it, you're going to get more out. And I think we're just, this is, this is the future. Right. And I, every time I'm sure Kent doesn't like me being on the show much anymore, because this is what I like to talk about every time. But I think this is the most profound discussion we can have in society. And it ties into geospatial. It ties into politics. It ties into all the things environment, right? Like how are we going to make these decisions? You know, to to support the job force of the future, to support the hardware, this technology, you know, all these different things. Um, so you know, I think we're at an interesting time. And you sit, Mark, at this kind of top-down approach look, or not top-down approach, but like you're you've made it in the career and you're looking down after decades of experience, you know, and and so one of the things I'd love to ask you is what would you advise aspiring professionals? Uh, in the AEC space or GIS space, geospatial space, how do you contend with you know Terminator T one thousand, you know, and India and all these other different places? Like, if you're an up and coming person in this world uh, in technology and geospatial, what what words of advice would you give?
2: Yeah, just be curious. I mean, don't mm. don't uh, shy away from something. If you get a little spark of interest in some new thing some capability some article you know find the person's name who wrote the article and and reach out to them on linkedin and ask for a conversation go to a conference where something's happening that just has the least bit of uh, intersection with what you're doing or what you might want to do and and don't be uh don't don't be worried about reaching out and networking and and learning be a lifelong learner because yeah the the opportunities that are just at all of our fingertips right now to, to be on that bleeding edge is is amazing. So, yeah, I think it's just be curious and don't be shy and, and don't worry if you look stupid and ask the dumb questions because, hell, I love it when someone asks me a dumb question, you know, in, in, if they're curious and inquisitive and, and trying to, to to figure something out.
3: You know well, I appreciate you answering on my dumb questions but you know um <laughs>
2: hardly hardly well mark I really like
0: what you said earlier about you know you're asked to do a a presentation on on AI and Aec and in that time period most people wouldn't continue to absorb information while they're trying to put together a a, a presentation for something you know they'll 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 you know get their information they'll put it in okay it's done but you know, the, the inquisitive and curious types like you are, and you're advising other people, you're, you're learning right up to the point where you're telling other people what you just learned instead of yeah. starting with, okay, this is what, at this time, that's what I knew. And then, you know, just made a presentation yeah. out of that. Like it's, yeah. it kudos to you though. It, well, it, that's my, good
2: stuff. Well, the subject that I almost kind of dictated it in that case, but yeah, it is all maybe a little bit of element of my, my personality and my, I'll, Shout out to my mom here. She, you know, always told me, "Mark, you can do anything you want. You just can't do everything you want." Yeah, you um, can. <laughs> <laughs> ah, no,
3: no, 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 can. no, no. no, no. I can't
2: do it all at once. Uh, not all at once, but
1: yeah. So my favorite AI story happened last episode as a matter of fact we haven't released it yet but i prepared i use i use chat oh, i use yeah, i, I use yeah, chatgpt like weekly at this point to help generate questions for the guests and uh, last yeah. week in particular i used chatgpt to generate a lot of it because it was topics that i really didn't have a lot of knowledge about right well, so what did he do he Took my questions and ran them through Chat GPT to generate
0: his answers. answers.
1: It's like, what is happening? Are we even interviewing really real people anymore? It's crazy.
2: It's not. You can't do that. Dave. You're bop to my bop and whatever. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
0: Hey, can can I talk about Diamondback land surveying for a second? Please do. By far our favorite friend of the program, their surveying department offers land surveying applications for residential, commercial, and public works projects across the western U.S. Their respected mapping team provides commercial subdivision and plat mapping, easements, and legal document preparation.
1: DBLS is dedicated to building and maintaining an excellent reputation in the construction and development communities by constantly providing top-notch services for our clients. Trent Keenan and his team of professionals look forward to the opportunity to work with you. To find out more, simply go to diamondbacklandsurveying.com. And while we're on the topic, we might as well talk about Get Kids Into Survey.
0: Yeah, I think we have to. Get Kids Into Survey began in 2017 by lame Ball with the creation of the first Get Kids Into Survey poster that reflected a fun resource for the survey community to share with their children in order to help them understand what their parents did at work. The response from the industry members was so overwhelmingly encouraging that just two years later, they have a whole range of survey posters in production and we have distributed over 60,000 copies globally.
1: I have a feeling it's even more than that. As the Get Kids Into Survey community expands globally through its network of sponsors and brand ambassadors, the project now includes full programs of work for educators, scholarship opportunities, and a ton of resources that will inspire the next generation of surveyors. Education is our passport to the future, as they say. Find out more by simply going to getkidsintosurvey.com. I, I do have one, one more question before I let you get out of here. Um, a term that I've heard a lot lately that I don't know a lot about, maybe you guys do, is this NERF, which is neural radiance fields. Is this anything that pertains or comes into play with what we're talking about?
2: Yeah, I haven't dug into it too deep. What I'm seeing NERFs be is a, um, a complement or maybe even a replacement for the sort of fixed 3D animations that we use for various purposes. Mm. Um, filling in the gaps through some AI and other, other learning models uh, where you might not have captured all of the conditions through scanning. Um, almost like, you know, I'll use a couple of silly analogies. Um, I think it was in Blade Runner and certainly Harry Potter you know, interactive photos that you can come to understand content that, uh, you know, you didn't necessarily take a picture of everything, but Mm. somehow the Nerf stitched it all together. So I think that we're going to see Nerfs. I've already seen a couple of Nerfs. I think McDonald's did an ad with Nerfs and um, someone else did also. So I think that we're going to start to see them as a means of interacting Mm. with environments, and because they are 3D and because they are very often location oriented, I think that there's going to be some intersection with GIS that we mm-hmm. might, you know, interact with a GIS environment, a 3D map, and some of the content we might explore in a, a Nerf viewer, if you will. Gotcha. Gotcha.
3: Yeah. yeah. Location based service I mean? at that point. Yeah. Like map map based, location based. You walk up on something and it wants to start stitching things together. Yeah. It's, it's sort of what the large language model does in some ways, but it's taking some spatial context and looking at imagery versus just text, right? So, like, instead of just predicting what I want the thing to say, it's predicting what it thinks I want to see, which we need lots more beer to think about the ethics and all this stuff. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's coming I, I remember playing with Nerf as a kid. It was pretty fun. We'd run around the kit, you know, the house, and shoot each other with all the things and <laughs> oh, break stuff. I think it's, it's different. It That's pretty. good. Yeah, it's different. I, I, I think. I think we
1: different I think <laughs> I broke my toe playing Nerf basketball. If I remember right, that little toe <laughs> on my left foot. It was horrible. It's a very specific memory. So, Sean, we have a problem. What's that? Our last two guests uh-huh. have made us look like fucking
0: idiots. Really have. I know. Like we're dumb. <laughs> Somehow we went to the host for your question. Surround
2: okay. yourself with experts That's what we that, try to yeah, do That's what we don't, try to, do. be no. to be the dumb
0: guy in the room No offense um, None taken, uh, a little hurtful But none taken And <laughs> I think we have successfully done that in, At least the
3: last month it's Adding really, value, uh, making friends A.K.A. just, you know, rising tide lifts all ships There
1: you go yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh uh, What
2: else, Mark? What else you want to talk about? What else? Um what else travel. is exciting in your world? You know, sounds, or... like, sounds like yeah. we're, we're, we're all bouncing around all over the place. Nick and I last time we saw each other was like I said in in Rotterdam after uh you know the I was already in Amsterdam and The Hague. I've been in um, where have I been this year? I've been everywhere. I was in Rome for the Building Smart Conference, I was in Frankfurt for an Esri conference, I was in Ireland last September, I went to Israel for a construction tech conference at the end of last year. I'm going to San Francisco in a week. I'm going to London and maybe Switzerland a couple weeks after that. Um, So yeah, we're we're back to a world, Uh, you know, maybe as as bad as or worse than before COVID as far as needing to be in places trying to monitor uh, my carbon. All I know, Kent, is that you (laughs) were,
0: (laughs) you were complaining earlier about, Oh man,
2: I've been traveling so
0: much. I went to California twice and Oregon once. And Mark just gave, just ran circles around the globe. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> yeah, and he made
3: me feel bad, too. I thought right. I was bad. So, so Mark, inferior. can you tell us Give us the chat GPT version of why it's important to have not only TSA pre-check, but uh, global entry?
2: Oh, gosh. Yeah. Tra- travel with your spouse who doesn't have those, and it becomes very apparent. Oh, horrible. As you've yeah. gotten through the line 15 minutes before them as they're behind the, the family of six who didn't realize the, the bottles <laughs> yeah. of water in their bags Weren't, weren't
1: allowed. Yeah. yeah. But um, TSA, pre- TSA pre-check. If you don't have that. Oh my clearer. God. And clear. And clear. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. With the eye scanner. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So Sean, not only have our last few guests made us look dumb, but boring as well.
0: Very boring. We're very boring. We don't do much. No. Uh, We don't know much, No, and (laughs) we're not offering as much value as others. I've
2: actually, (laughs) I've used my travels as an opportunity to learn some of Esri's tech. Mm. So I've put together story maps of the places that I've been. I'll share them with you guys later of um, the most recent trip to to Netherlands, which was three different cities, three different meetings, photos of events, photos of the canals, photos of my e-bike ride through town all in a location-based presentation using story maps. a little plug for Esri there. Um, so I've kind of taken the responsibility. If I'm going to get all these opportunities to travel around the world, I'm going to put together some virtual slideshows for my colleagues to to know what's going on around the world and my family to be jealous.
1: Yeah.
0: Just a little perspective before we wrap up here. Yeah. Uh, yesterday I was doing a, a small uh presentation with some some local guys from Gilbert uh, some of them their maintenance guys on some basics of soil mechanics and i actually said most of these test procedures started in the 40s and 50s, and have not changed since then. (laughs) The same apparatus that measures plasticity in soil has been the same one for at least 50 years. So whatever the opposite of uh, of Mark is, it's it's not antiquated, (laughs) but it is a tried-and-true method that won't ever change. Uh, Well, I won't say say won't, but uh, my theory is that if it hasn't yet, I don't I don't know what's going to make it make it happen but I think I you may, need to be prepared. I, I, maybe I'm maybe I'm in the dark on that but yeah. subsurface
2: data collection is all the rage right now. Boom. Um, look at that. Yeah. Devices at that. that are using ground penetrating radar and magnetism and various other sensors looking at the various data combining it with AI and understanding what's below ground like never before. I I've run into a few companies. A few of them were at GeoWeek. One of them was why I went to Israel and every partner. So, uh,
0: yep. I like it.
2: Mm.
1: Interesting. So, you know what's really weird? My Apple Watch just told me that I closed my stand ring for the day. Oh, yeah. I'm fucking sitting here. How did I close my stand ring?
3: I'm sorry, Kent, I'm raising your blood pressure. That's, that's what it is. Is that what it is?
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. All right.
0: Um, all right. I usually ask this one question, but I actually know uh Mark's answer because we asked it last time. So I'll ask a different question. If you had to do one thing different from I would say the start of when you dropped out of college to now, what would have been? <laughs>
2: I worked at Autodesk early in the day, and at the height of the dot-com craze, while a lot of my friends were becoming paper millionaires for, you know, businesses that put, you know, a sock puppet on the map, um, <laughs> I was still at Autodesk, but boomer and I probably would have stuck around there a little longer and learned a little bit more and not chased the dot-com opportunities when I did. Mm, interesting. Um, I think I had more to learn then and my eyes were a little too wide open to, to becoming a, a paper millionaire, like my friends who they all, you know, crashed and burned. Um, yeah, that, that probably would have been a, a career hmm. change.
0: Interesting. Career I just want to put that ahead. a little bit in perspective because
2: we're talking
0: just about the same, you know, jump on this crazy exponential technology boom. Yep. But should we at least have a little perspective, mm. like Mark just said, of like,
2: oh well, maybe it is
0: cyclical, and maybe there is some yeah, perspective to be had there.
2: Every time, so yeah. yeah,
1: keep your eye
2: on the prize. <laughs> keep
0: eye PR on the prize.
3: I like that.
1: All right. Well, m- before I let you get out of here, Mark, Nick, anything else you got?
3: Gosh, no, I just I want to say, Mark, I appreciate the time. It was obviously a uh, good seeing you across the pond and uh, looking forward to see you at the Esri UC in the second week of July, right? Yeah. I believe second week of yeah. July for all our listeners out there. I'm going to make a plug for Esri uh lots and lots of people you know somewhere between 15 and twenty thousand people a year descend upon uh san diego and Mm -hmm. it's not for comic con it's for gis talk so uh you know mark thank you so much look forward to seeing you there and uh we'll have you back on for the third time
2: good deal i'll put a little plug in for for you guys nick at bad elf you guys have got some amazing products you showed me some cool stuff in rotterdam looking forward to following up on the little side conversation we had and um yeah, look forward to uh, to mm-hmm. seeing you again. And thank you, Geoholics, for the chance to to have some fun tonight. Yeah, and thank you, Azri, for considering
1: being a friend of the program for
0: 2024. <laughs> I <28. laughs> love that plug. I love
1: There's it. I'll on that one, definitely. All right. Well, thanks again, Mark. Really appreciate it. Again, great to talk with you. And we'll definitely do this again, no question.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Can't wait. All right, adding value
1: and making friends. If anyone would like to be a guest on a future show, shoot us an email at info at We're actually booking into August right now.
0: I think August just got booked. And we're
1: doubling up. I think like two weeks a month, we're going to have.
0: So watch Monday. out for a lot of content, a lot of this content summer, coming so the summer.
1: Yep, no doubt. Pink Floyd, comfortably numb, available everywhere. Until next time, as our new best friend Mark Goldman says be a digital native, be curious. And most importantly, be safe and healthy.